Okay. So yesterday, we were explaining that after the war, where Avraham had this enormous miracle of God and managed either just with his one accompanier, Eliezer, or with 318, to defeat four enormously powerful armies for those times. And then he was like, wait, uh, did I just use up all my reward that I amassed my entire life? Oh my goodness, just got spent on this tremendous miracle? And God says, no, 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 don't worry, I'm protecting you, no punishment, your reward is secure. And then Abram responds, well, what do I need it for anyway? I don't have any children. Who's going to inherit me anyway, Eliezer? What do I care? What I'm getting, what I have, it's, it's meaningless. And then Hashem responded, God responded with a promise of children. And Avram believed. And that was as far as the portion of Thursday. Friday, we continue this discussion with God, God and Avram. And here God adds to the promise, not only will you have children, but your children will inherit the land of Israel. And in response to that promise, that the children will inherit the land of Israel, Avram asked for a sign. And that sign is the bris ben Habsaram, the covenant between the pieces. So, verse 7, God said to him, in response to his belief in God, with the promise of children, here he's already old, they've been married for years, no children, God says he's having children, he believes. God said to him, I am God who brought you out of Orkastin to give you this land to inherit it. And then, at this point, Avram says to God, God, how shall I know that I'm going to inherit it? Which Rashi told us yesterday Rashi actually commented this comment on this verse, but on a comment on the last verse of yesterday's section, verse 6, that Abraham, Abraham here wasn't questioning God. If he was, if he was a questioner of God, why, wouldn't, why would he have had no problem accepting this fantabulous, completely non-plausible in the natural realm promise for children that he accepted without any questions? Why suddenly when his children are promised the land of Israel, does he have questions? So Rashi said he wasn't asking, hey, is it true? Give me a sign. He rather was saying, what merit will my children keep this land? I mean, I know they're not only going to be so holy. How will they deserve to keep it? And God said to him, in the merit of the offerings, in the merit of the sacrifices they will offer, in that merit, they will keep the land of Israel. And then, the Midrash says that Avram continued. That's as far as Rashi quotes. The Midrash says that Avram continued and said, but what's going to happen when the temple is destroyed? Then they won't have this merit to keep the land. So God said in the merit of their reciting the passages of the offering, every day before our morning and afternoon prayers, we say the passages of the offering because our prayers are in lieu of the offerings. We pray morning and afternoon as on a twice daily basis, the regular daily offering was offered. And before we say the prayers, we literally read the verses describing the offering. So when we're reading those verses, God considers it that we are offering up those offerings to God. It's very powerful. 
in that merit, we still maintain the land of Israel. So in response to Abraham saying, give me a sign. How do I know they're going to inherit it? And what merit will they keep it? God then tells him, we're going to set the stage now for this covenant, this pact, this treaty between the two of us. Now why, on another level, why Abraham wanted for this uh, physical acting out of a treaty is because God can give a promise, but it doesn't necessarily come down to a this world reality. The promise can exist and does exist, but in a spiritual realm. Abraham wants to make sure that the land of Israel will be given in a physical reality to the Jewish people, and therefore this pact, this sign, this promise between God and Abraham ensured that God's word here will be expressed in a physical reality. And what God basically is telling him is to take a number of animals, split the animals in half, and God and Abraham are going to walk through the pieces. And we're going to go through now the symbolisms of those animals, where Rashi is going to give us two levels of symbolisms, and one is that all these animals were different, symbolic of different future carbono sacrifices that the Jews would offer, which of course ties into what we just said, that Rashi said yesterday, that in the merit of the sacrifices, that is how the Jews will keep the land, which therefore would be why now to act out the promise on keeping the land, we're using animals symbolic of all these sacrifices. So God said to Abraham, take for me three cows, three goats, three rams, a turtle dove, and a fledgling, two types of small birds. So Rashi explains these three calves. When we say these three calves, they're an allusion to three different types of future offerings that would be bought with a bull, with a calf. The bull that was offered on Yom Kippur, the bull, if there was a situation that would happen when the public would make a mistake because something was was wrongly ruled because there was a misunderstanding in the law. And the calf whose neck is broken in a certain specific situation, when they find a, a, a man that died and they don't know how and what was the cause of the death, and then they have to have this special ceremony where they are breaking the neck of this calf and filling its blood in this area to atone for that death. So these are three very specific offerings that all have to do with the par, the egla, the cow. Why three goats? This is a reference to three goat offerings. So the he goat whose service was performed in the inside of the temple, the he goat of the special offerings we add on the holidays, and to the he goat, actually here it's a she goat, if someone had a sin and sinned accidentally and is bringing a sin offering, there's a goat offered. The three goats parallel to those three offerings. Three calves parallel to those three offerings. And three rams, well, we can imagine why. For three offerings that are given a ram. The one is if someone sinned, which, I mean, these are, I don't want to take the time to explain for each offering in more detail the laws behind it, but all these are very specific laws. Someone sinned and therefore has to bring a certain type of guilt offering, a definitive guilt offering. Another ram is if someone brings a suspended guilt offering, 
if you're uncertain if the thing was done or not, like if um, you ate a piece of something that you thought was kosher fat, you ate one and the dog ate the other, or so you thought, and then afterwards it came out that actually maybe you ate something that was completely forbidden to eat. But you don't know if you ate it or if the dog did. So until you know for sure, you don't know you did the sin, so therefore you offer this suspended guilt offering. If afterwards it turns out it wasn't the dog, it was the garbage, and truly you ate the wrong thing, you have to bring the definitive guilt offering. Until you know definitively, this suspended guilt offering works. And this the female sheep offering if for a certain type of sin offering brought by an individual. Okay, so we see here that these nine animals, the three calves and the three goats and the three rams, are all representing in the future different offerings the Jews will offer. And two types of birds, a tor and a goizon, which Rashi explains that the tor is this turtle dove, which makes sense because that is an offering. And the geisel, Rashi calls, is the fledgling. Rashi is saying here it's a young dove because in the temple all offerings of fowl were either adult turtle doves, you couldn't offer a baby turtle dove, only an adult turtle dove, or a young dove. You couldn't offer an adult dove, only a young dove. Therefore, Rashi's comment here that the tor is the adult turtle dove and the goizel is the young dove, matches the offerings of birds that will be offered in the future in the temple. Okay, so now we have all of these animals. What do we do with them? So God said, he took them all, he cut them in the center, he placed each piece opposite its counterpart, but the birds he didn't cut up. So it's as if there's now a line of nine animals split in half, half of each of the nine on either side of the row. And then if you can envision in the top of the row, two whole birds, dead but whole, not split in half. Now here, Rashi is going to go into another symbolism, explaining, because here we have a question. If we're just thinking he's cutting them up so he and God can walk through the pieces, and if they all symbolize the offerings, then he should have done the same thing to the birds and to the animals. The fact that the birds he cuts in half, I'm sorry, the animals he cuts in half, but the birds he leaves whole imply there must be another level of symbolism here for which it would warrant the animals to be in half and the birds whole. And that can't have anything to do with offerings because in offerings, the birds, as I just explained at length, are exactly the same like the animals. They're all symbolic of offerings. So there must be another level of symbolism here. So Rashi says that, uh, first of all, he cut them because that actually was how covenants were done in those days. That's actually, we call it a bris that we're cutting here. There's a covenant, there's a cutting of splitting the animals and going between the pieces. So where do we see that they, God and Abraham go through the pieces? So at the end of this section, that's how Abraham and this, this, this smoky furnace, this torch of fire went through the pieces. And that smoky furnace and torch of fire was representative of the divine presence, which is expressed in a physical reality symbolically as fire. So that's why for a covenant to work in ancient times, as they worked a covenant, they cut animals and they, they split them in half and they went between the pieces. That's a brisk. 
just as we say in the Hebrew, you in Hebrew it doesn't work in English, but in Hebrew you say you kairos abris, which in English you'd probably say you enter into a covenant, you enter into a treaty. But literally, kairos means to cut, because a bris, a covenant, literally etymologically is going back to its roots where they cut the animals and walked between them. So okay. So now I understand if we're looking at these animals as in ancient times covenants were made, why they had to be cut. But that still doesn't answer why the birds weren't cut then. From that perspective, the birds should also be cut. The Rashi continues in his next comment, explaining, and the birds he did not cut up. And now he gives another symbolism for the animal, which is why the birds would stay uncut and the animals would be cut. The animals are also symbolic of the nations of the world, as there are verses that show how the nations are compared to bulls and rams and goats. The birds are compared to the Jewish people, as there are verses that compare the Jews to the Jewish people. So that's why the animals were split and the birds were not. To imply, as allegorically expressing, that the nations will be cut up, they'll be wiped out. But the birds are not cut up. The Jews will exist forever. So that's what happens. We have these animals, these nine animals, these two birds. The nine animals get cut up. The two birds do not. We have this pathway ready for God and Abraham to walk through the pieces, as was done in ancient times, to be kairos, to cut the covenant between the two. And then something happened. In the next verse it says, that A bird of prey descended upon the carcasses, and Abraham drove them away. Now, of course, one could say, well, yeah, you know, I mean, there's all this fresh dead meat. Makes sense some vulture came down or a raven to, to have a snack. But obviously, that could be true. But if that was true, then it wouldn't be recorded in the Homish. This is obviously part of the symbolism. So Rashi first explains the ayat, which is a Hebrew here, as this bird of prey and explains why it's called the bird of prey from the word at, that it swoops down to eat the spoils. Spiritually speaking, it's explained. Well, actually, we'll, we'll get to it soon in the Rashi and I'll explain it. But then it says on the, on the carcasses, and Rashi explains that this means on the pieces of the carcasses. In other words, usually a carcass is a whole animal. But the only whole animals were the birds. And the birds of prey didn't swoop down on the birds. Because their swooping down represents destruction, and the Jews would not be destroyed. So therefore, Rashi explains at length that this swooping down on the carcasses actually means the halves. Is a very long Rashi in parentheses clarifying this that we shouldn't think it's a it's if we looked at the Uncle's translation we would get we can get confused which is it is it mean a half or a carcass and Rashi clarifies that at length there and then the next Rashi and Avram drove them away. And on this, Rashi first explains that what this means literally, that he drove him away. And then he explains the symbolism in this, because of course we understand, as we've seen everything else in this covenant is symbolic, so obviously this is symbolic as well. 
So Rashi says this is saying that David, the son of Yishai, is coming to annihilate the nations, and that's why we're saying very clearly that the bird of prey came down on the animals, not on the birds. But from heaven, he wasn't allowed to do so until Mashiach should come, and that's why Avram had to drive him away. Actually says that what's recorded here is the bird of prey came down and Avram drove it away, because that was symbolic of of King David, of trying to bring the Mashiach, but the world wasn't ready. So Aram said, no, no, not yet. But now it's still, but then it says later, this was before nightfall, then it says night fell, and when night fell, the birds of prey came back, and now they were allowed to consume the animals, symbolizing that in the right time, at the appropriate time, in the millenniums of Mashiach, the millenniums of Mashiach, then once again the bird of prey will come to attack the nations to bring Mashiach and then it will be the right time and then of course heaven will allow this to happen and for the Mashiach to be brought. So it's like Avram is saying, no, no, don't come early. When, when it's too early, says this world is divided into three sets of 2,000 years. 2,000 years of chaos, 2,000 years of Tyra, and 2,000 years of the times of Mashiach. So before that opportune time, if Mashiach will come and the world isn't ready for it, it can't be the full, complete Mashiach because the world isn't ready for it. The world hasn't done what's needed to be done to allow God to be so revealed on planet Earth. So Abram had to drive the bird away. But when it's nightfall, so to speak, at the right time, we're already in the millenniums of Mashiach, at this point it means enough has been done and we've worked through the physicality enough that now the physical world can truly express God himself. And of course, at this time, we welcome this bird of prey, so to speak, to bring in the redemption. So we are in the middle of this section, and of course, we'd love to finish, but we are over our time here, so we are still in the middle of this story of the covenant and definitely in the middle of this whole section of today.